I'm Mitch McCracken, and this is Memphis Music Interview, Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. Now, you can't have a conversation about Memphis music without today's guest name coming up. Reba Russell is a published songwriter, vocalist, guitarist, backing vocalist, band leader, and producer, as well as a touring and recording artist. Reba Russell and her band tour the United States and Europe and have released eight independent albums. Here's my conversation with Reba Russell. Reba, almost everyone I've talked to about Memphis music brings your name up. <laughs> well, that cracks me. <laughs> well, you know. It's like I said, you haven't talked to the right people yet. <laughs> well, I tell you, the, the people that I've talked to are your fans, in addition to your friends. How did you get involved with, with music? That, that was in high school? Well, you? I I loved music my whole life. My mom and dad loved music. My dad died when I was a little girl, but I had older sisters. I'm the baby in my family, so I had two mm-hmm. older sisters and a brother, and they everybody in the house loved music. So mm-hmm. I had, you know, my mom's old-time Kentucky stuff plus the big band era type stuff to Elvis Presley to just right on down Mm-hmm. My fan, you know, the kids in my family, and we always had stereo. And my mom bought a piano and tried to have us all take music lessons mm-hmm. and all that. But no, it didn't really take with anybody. So I had a deep love for music my mm-hmm. whole life. But um, until I got into like middle school and high school, I started getting in in a chorus mm-hmm. and that type of thing. But I was also the kid who would stand on top of the coffee table <clears throat> with the stereo going, pretending uh-huh. like I was... On stage. Right. Yeah. And always loved it. But um, until I moved to Memphis, uh, we lived in Cocoa, Florida after my daddy died. Uh-huh. Um, we moved to Memphis because my sisters had moved here. They were in the medical field. And when I moved here, I think that I think I really got that music was inside of me and it was important very how important it really was to me. So you were in chorus in high school and Yeah, I did that and then on my sixteenth birthday, um my brother in law, Harry Scott, my oldest sister's husband, mm-hmm. gave me his Gibson guitar, acoustic guitar. Uh-huh. Because I had <clears throat> every time I'd go over there I'd noodle around with it and just play with it and he'd show me a chord or something. And I think at that point, um he figured I would use it more than he would, and the minute that happened, and I took that guitar home, I did not stop trying to learn songs off mm-hmm. the record player, off the radio, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of taught myself. I had friends who played, too, in high school, mm-hmm. and um, my boyfriend and some people, uh, friends would show me how to play, but I loved it. I knew I loved it. Because I, if I'd never wanted to just do that for hours, anything for mm-hmm. hours on end mm-hmm. until I got that guitar, and then I could occupy, you know, long spaces of time just learning how to play. I never got tired of it. Right. Yeah. I went to Germantown High School, and there's a spot out there called the Pines, and I used to take my guitar, and we'd all sit out there and sing songs. We'd go to Overton Park and jam <laughs> with right. different people, Audubon Park, that yeah. kind of thing. A good friend of mine in high school, Kenna Adams-Pitts, um, she and I seemed to 
enjoyed the same type of music, and mm -hmm. we were really close friends, and Kenna could sing and play really well, too, so we kind of joined a, a little duet. Mm -hmm. And when we did that, we started playing, you know, anywhere, really, that somebody would let us play. We had a couple of little gigs here and there. Uh, Miss Kitty's was one of the places, you know, over off of Cooper early on in the late 70s. And then uh, eventually I had played so much with uh, so many of my friends that my current husband, Wayne Russell, we had mutual friends and he heard me singing, heard me and Kenna singing mm -hmm. at a party, just hanging out. And he offered, he just said, you know, I think you're a great singer and I will offer to put a band together if you would even be interested in doing it. And that's really kind of how I got started in bands. Mm -hmm. playing. You know, while I was doing all those little things, uh, I didn't want to go to college right out of high school. So I kind of, Kenna and I did that, and I worked little old straight jobs mm -hmm. to make ends meet and stuff. And then uh, around 78, I graduated in 76, around 78, I decided to go to college because my mom said I had the, we had the GI Bill. My dad was a veteran, and they would pay for it. So I entered uh, Memphis State mm -hmm. back then and took my required courses the first couple of semesters. Then I got into the music classes, mm -hmm. and that's where it all just went downhill. From and there. you were a rebel, weren't you? Well, I've always had a problem with authority, but I think that's, <laughs> I think that's actually an honest uh, trait that I got from my mother. Mm -hmm. Because my mother was a very strong woman, came up on a farm in Kentucky and uh, left home early and made her way out in the world the best way that she knew how. But mm -hmm. she was never intimidated by anybody. And after my daddy died, she was our mom and dad, mm -hmm. both. And um, she taught me to believe in myself. Let's just put it that way. Right. To really believe in myself. Mm -hmm. and that. Um, so, yeah, I kind of had the the power of her behind me in my whole life, you mm -hmm. know, egging me on. I think that's great that she did that because, uh, you know, she gave you a lot of self-esteem. Well, she kept me from, well, you know, after you see one of your parents die and you're young, you mm -hmm. kind of wake up to the reality that fairy tales are just fairy tales. Right. And, um, and things were harder, you know, with mm -hmm. one income and all that kind of stuff. So it was, she did her very best that she could to instill in all of us a sense of self. Right. I heard a story about a music project that you did. Is what, that what? in college? You yeah. Mean? Well, that's really where my college education came to a halt. I had, <laughs> I had taken um, most of my required courses, and I was decided to major in music, um, and I loved all my music classes, but at some point I had to take a, a voice class, mm -hmm. and I was doing well in my guitar class, my theory classes, those types of things, so I went into this voice class. During that time at the University of Memphis, there was no contemporary anything. It was mm -hmm. all pretty much based on classical music, mm -hmm. and so it was, the people in that class were geared towards opera, and I certainly was not geared towards opera, however, sh uh, the teacher, I can't remember her name, Kitty something, uh, was open to the fact that I wasn't into opera. I think she 
did resent it. And the first time I sang in front of the class, I did like Joni Mitchell rather than an operatic <laughs> song. And then from that day on, I was kind of like the example of how not oh. to, to do things. Right. And so because of I felt that clash with her, uh-huh. I decided that I was going to... Um, aggravate her as much as I possibly could. So all my work was either Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. When it got to the end of the semester and I had my final uh, exam, it wasn't an exam, it was like a presentation. Mm -hmm. I decided to do mine on Bob Dylan as a vocalist. Oh, oh no, really? (laughs) So... How'd you do? uh, I, I got a D in the class, which meant I would have to repeat it and um, so at the end of that, she was angry at me. I was angry at her. And at that point, I just realized I need to go do this. I don't need mm-hmm. to stay here in these classes. And this is not something I need to learn. I already know how to do what I want to do. Right, right. To hell with this. I am leaving college. Nobody, you know, my family was disappointed. Everybody was sad. But the truth is, after I left there, um with the exception of two straight jobs I've had in my life, I have made a complete living for 30 years making music. So it was really, it was a good decision mm-hmm. in a way. <laughs> right. Well, how great is that, though, to be able to make a living at something that you love? Well, I mean, because it's Memphis, I think that's the only reason I was able to do that. Seriously. Really? You don't I think mean, you could do that anywhere else? Uh, I think it would have been a lot harder to do it somewhere mm-hmm. else. Um Memphis is such a musical town where everybody plays. Little kids, old people, everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. plays here. Everybody's familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an accepted lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, everybody that I've interviewed, really, we talk about Memphis music and about the difference between music here and music in other places like in New York and L.A., where even though in Memphis it's still a business, not to the extent that it is in other places, and that the musicians here have a almost a, a, a brotherhood. They they have an appreciation of each other instead of being so competitive with each other. I think it's that's true, and I think the reason here it it's true that the business part of it has not been as successful as other cities. However, the creative end of exactly. It, is outstanding in comparison to other cities. Um, if you want to, I'd, I'd put a Memphis musician up against any musician on planet Earth mm-hmm. any day of the week. Uh, I think that um, it's hard here, but you've also got such a huge access to different types of music, different types of musicians. Uh, I think that white and black here, the 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 race factor here is does not exist really in the musical sphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we walk around thinking what maybe musicians in Atlanta or New York. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't live there. I can yeah. only speak to what's what's here, and mm-hmm. I know that music has brought us together far more than it has put us apart uh-huh. in this town. Yeah. Um, but I also think that people like Sam Phillips and kind of rebels mm-hmm. seem to 
thrive here, mm -hmm. that independence is a very important thing to all of us, and mm -hmm. having a singular voice and not being afraid of your single singular voice, what you have to say is okay, right? Um, rather than a formulaic thing mm -hmm. that you might get in Nashville or Atlanta or New York or L.A. or something. Yeah, and I, I remember reading somewhere when um, Willie Mitchell first uh, started working with Al Green, and Al Green was trying to, to sing like other singers of the day, and he said, don't do that, be Al Green. You know, sing like Al right. Green sings. And and that's what why his, his he has such a unique sound. Well, and the beauty of all that is, is it gets passed down to those of us who grow up here, mm -hmm. and you may not even know that you're receiving this information, mm -hmm. but you do, and right. it's in your being and who you are as you go on in life, you realize when you look back how, um, just how important that all these influences were to you. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, and, and certainly the youth in Memphis are still churning out great musicians. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are still kids that are just coming up and really young that are amazing mm -hmm. in this town. Right, and, and they, get a, they get a place to play, too. I mean, uh, where in some cities uh, a minor has no club that they can go to to play, but they, found, uh, they find an avenue here uh, somewhere. You know, I was at uh, Neil's just the other night and had a 14-year-old guitar player that was fabulous. I mean, he just had uh, recorded some tracks over at, at uh, Royal Studios uh, with Boo. So, um, you know, I think that's a little bit different than, than anywhere else. And I think it's nurtured here, which is a really Well, it thing. is, but it's also um, sort of, there's a sort of a dichotomy here about the the old Southern... Mm -hmm. type of job and thing you're supposed to do. So music is sort of like the rebellion thing to do here mm -hmm. as well. And there's always an older, more experienced musician that will um, share stories with you, share, give you inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, I know that Jim Dickinson consistently would tell me not... To, to when I felt like I was stirring up trouble mm -hmm. by saying something that I felt or believed in, he mm -hmm. would say just the opposite. He would say, it is your duty. You are supposed to do that. That's why, you know, Memphis is how it is. Because artists are going to create their art and they're going to say what they want to say. This is why it's important here. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and encouraged me to be a rebel. That it wasn't a bad thing. It was a fine thing. It was, mm -hmm. a, it was a good thing. Right. So I think that's different than a lot of other places that you're going to go. Advice that you're going to get from musicians in Memphis, I think, are going is going to be far different than what you might get somewhere else. And you are known for being outspoken, aren't you? Well, I just wish I could shut up. Sometimes I wish I didn't care as much as I care. Right. Um, it would be, life would have been a lot simpler to stay out of the way, but mm -hmm. um, I love musicians. I love artists. I think music is so taken for granted on our planet. If people thought about never hearing any music ever again, if it disappeared off the face of the earth, what our lives would be like. So when I think somebody's 
cheating a musician or I think a mm -hmm. club is not doing what they're supposed to do or whatever, I'm going to say something about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And good. Good for you. You should. And I think Jim Dickinson is right. You need more people like that. Well, you know, it's it's just like you want your city to pay attention to its artists, and this city does, absolutely. But at the same time, I think it totally takes it for granted, but that's, that is the reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we have so much great music here, you can't help but take it for granted. Right. It's right. how you grow up. It surrounds you all the time. So it's a tug of war. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a tug of war. So what was your first uh, commercial success as a singer? Well, uh, I could tell you that I'm still struggling to have any commercial success. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was your first uh, paid I, appearance then? <laughs> but I can tell you that as far as I'm concerned, I have been successful in every single sense of the word of mm -hmm. success. Um, if I had not met Dawn Hopkins at Sounds Unreal Studios, I would not have all the releases that I have because um, I had been doing some work with Jack Holder and Rob Junkless at doing some of Rob's music. Mm -hmm. And Dawn was recording it and I met her during that time and she was the first female engineer I had ever, uh, studio engineer. Mm -hmm. I had seen other live, female live engineers. Right. Um, but this is somebody who knew her way around the studio and she, I just took a chance and asked her, would you be interested in working with me? I want to release some independent music. And so that fortuitous meeting Mm -hmm. is really what created my blues career because Dawn was willing to spend time, you know, the beginning thing, we didn't have any money. Um, and she stuck with me and stuck with me. And now we have released, you know, nine, we have nine releases and uh, don't owe anybody any money. Um, but her her production style... Her knowledge of sound and everything really helped create my sound, my blues sound. And without her, really seriously, um, it would have been a lot harder road to hoe without somebody like Dawn in my life. And so um, we are, our production company is called the Blue Eyed Bitches. <laughs> and, I'm going to guess she has blue eyes. <laughs> yes, she does. And Wayne actually named us that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's stuck, and it's on all those records, and uh -huh. um, she and I have been a great partnership, and she's one of the most wonderful people and my best friend. But, you know, as you know, she runs, she's the sound person for the show, you know, mm -hmm. she's the sound engineer for the, you know, recording the Blues Awards, the Live Feed for the Blues Awards, the IBC competitions. I mean, she is the bomb. Mm -hmm. She is a great human being and a great engineer. But I would have to say that, like, the very first thing um, anybody took any notice of me about was probably getting signed at Chip's moment when uh, they lured him back to Memphis to, you know, revive the Memphis, mm -hmm. you know, like they're always doing, bringing somebody to revive the business part right. of the Memphis. Right. Thing. What year was that? Um, 
That was in 85, and I think it was around 85. And uh, and that was the most wonderful experience ever. I got to uh, meet and sing with uh, Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison, the, the uh, American Records project that they did, The Homecoming. Mm-hmm. I was on that record. I was there among all those people that are on that record, many of them who don't, you know, are not on the planet anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also exposed to great songs with Chips and the experimentation in the studio with him, mm-hmm. and I love him. I loved him then. I love him now. Um, various people around Memphis have varying opinions of him. I only know what I know mm-hmm. about him, and um, he taught me a great deal, which really, because of my association with him, I really did become more successful and was able to go out and be an independent Mm-hmm. Uh, artist right. altogether. Yeah. Um, I met him when I was 18 years old working at FM 100 and he let me come in and watch sessions at American. Well, I got to work with all those guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was a excellent education yeah. in so many aspects of the music business. Well, and and Chips is a perfect example of what makes Memphis different uh, because, uh, you know, he was so talented and so successful and yet would sit down and talk to you and share experience and stories and uh, inspiration. Um, yeah, and Chips was sort of like Sam in the way that he was a gambler, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those guys took chances and big risks and stuff um, in the face of, uh, you know, record labels and people mm-hmm. like that and just uh, uh, made hit after hit after hit because of that sort of stubborn mm-hmm. thing. Right. It's going to happen, and I'm going to make it happen. Right. And so what was your introduction onto Beale Street? Well, um, I had basically after Chips, um, I kept my band at the time was called Reba and the Portables, and it was basically a family band with Wayne's, uh, the Russell family. Mm-hmm. And we, we did some original music. However, it was more of a cover band, and we played a lot. We were very successful at some point. It just was falling flat for me. Mm-hmm. I was not feeling anything. I was just basically going and singing and playing the songs and working without really having any sort of emotional connection to a lot of that stuff. So I decided at that point to go with what the roots of this area were. I always love blues music, blues artists. Had listened to all that stuff as I was as a kid, Billy Holiday, you know, all this great music. And so when I got to Memphis, I realized this is where all that, you know, this is where all that happened in this area. And I started getting interested in it. So I decided at that point to create a blues band with Robert Nighthawk Tunes. Yeah. I went and got Robert, and me and Wayne and Robert started with, you know, several different guitar players. Um, drummers, we kind of went through different people, but that association happened like in 1994, and uh, and it goes to present time. Mm-hmm. You know that that our core of me, Wayne, and Robert have we've been a blues band since since then, and decided to write songs, make my own records, um, all that kind of stuff, and and did it. Mm-hmm. 
So at that point is when, when I decided to be a blues band, then we decided that was about the same time that Beale Street was being revamped. Mm-hmm. So, and I had played down there with Reba and the Portables at Rum Boogie when it was open and several other places down there. Right. So it wasn't really a hard transition to mm-hmm. make. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and even though, like you say, uh, maybe not uh, from a, a standpoint of, of a commercial success, a creative success. Well, and, you know, and I don't know what you call a commercial success, but, I mean, I own the house I live in. Yeah. I have a roof over my head. I don't owe anybody any money. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I get, at present time, I get airplay on, you know, satellite radio, mm-hmm. internet radio. Um, I, you know, I've had, as far as I'm concerned, I have reached the dreams that I originally had. I wanted mm-hmm. to hear myself on the radio. I wanted people to buy my music. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to make a living making music. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm telling you, commercial success since uh, Three Dog Night has been a negative thing. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, at the same time, you know, I mean, I'd love to be rich, uh-huh. but, but I have never been um, one of those people, I think, that was hungry enough mm-hmm. for... Uh, to become famous. Right. I mean, that's never been my goal. Mm-hmm. It was never anything that I set myself up to want to do. Not that I would have not liked to, to have fame, but I think, I think now I'm thrilled that I didn't because you right. see what it, what has happened, what it has transpired over time about celebrity and those types of things. But, you know, I say this to everybody. If you're doing what you love, and you can make ends meet, you are successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I do tons of studio work because I live in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the studios here, the people who come here to cut music. Right, right. Um, you know, I've sung on great, great, great records, great artists, and, and a lot of my friends who are musicians' records. I mean, it's been an absolutely enriched experience. Mm-hmm. Um well, I think anybody is successful if they get up in the morning and love doing what they're doing. You know, love going to work. Absolutely. You know, because that, uh, for me, it was radio. It's not near as creative, <laughs> but but I enjoy it. And I never, I never got up in the morning going, hey, I got to go to work. You know, I didn't yeah. go to work. I went to the station. <laughs> you know, and so I'm sure it's, it's it's even better for you because you get to create something. Well, I mean, there's angst. I mean, everybody who's an artist has hard times. It's feast and famine. I mean, there are days when you're asking yourself, why did I choose this? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you work hard at it and you you can be a songsmith and come up with things that relate to other people and that people actually purchase from you, um, that you receive royalties from, uh, over your lifetime, that to me is leaving a legacy. That's it. That's mm-hmm. what's important. And it's not necessarily important to have the most gigs or the most money. It's how relevant are you? Right. How relevant are you? Mm-hmm. And being relevant is probably more important to me than being successful or famous or whatever you mm-hmm. want to say. You know, mm-hmm. um, have I put who I am out there and not you know, hide. I'm not hiding. I'm actually, this is me. This mm-hmm. is my heart and soul. And that's really the most important thing right. for me. And I, 
and because of that, and because of my mother telling me that that's what everybody needs to do in life, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I live great. I have a great life because I trusted my talent. Jack Rouse said something about you when I interviewed him that I, I just thought was so great. He was talking about that every time that he sees you sing, you sing from your heart. You're not just getting up there and performing. You know, you are, you mean everything, you know, you're expressing what's well, inside. That That's so sweet of him to say that. But the, I can tell you that having a great band mm -hmm. playing behind you mm -hmm. is a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I can also tell you that if you're singing words that you wrote about things that are real, mm -hmm. then you're going to be able to perform that way because you can completely immerse yourself in relating to the thing that you're singing about. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I love to sing cover material, too, and I love all kinds of music. I mean, I love all kinds of music, and I like to sing all kinds of music. So I think when I'm choosing songs or writing songs, I make sure that I'm doing something that is going to create a feeling in me that I can then be authentic to the audience mm -hmm. and that they can feel that too. And if you are a performer and you can do that, then you're in. You're, you can sustain yourself doing this craft. Because if you're just singing to sing mm -hmm. and to get the check and you're singing crap, Right. Eventually, you're not going to be able to do it anymore, and or the audience is going to see through that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what Jack was talking about, because he said every time that he's ever seen you, he, he got that same feeling. So I think that was well. At the same time, you know, I want the I don't want people to get up and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Although I have cleared a room a few times. <laughs> Make sure you're with us next time for Memphis Music Interview. Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. I'm Mitch McCracken, and I hope to see you then. Memphis Music Interview is a Get Cracken production.